For me, it began in 1992 with an ending. I was five years old and happened upon a comic shop advertising the death of Superman in its window display. From that moment forward, the Man of Steel has been my favorite character. And now on this podcast, I'm exploring my fandom and examining the creative visions that have shaped the last son of Krypton across media for over 80 years. Welcome to a special edition of Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. This episode features an interview with Mark Wade, writer of Superman Birthright. Joining me to kick off this episode is my buddy, comic book artist, V. Ken Marion. Yo, what's up, Anthony? Thank you for uh, helping me get things started here. Uh, it was an absolute blast uh, to get to talk to Mark Wade, and I'm going to play that uh, for our audience in just a minute. Uh, he and I spoke for just under an hour. I can honestly say I got to ask and tell him everything <laughs> that I wanted to about Superman Birthright. Uh, and after the interview, uh, you'll come back and, and we'll kind of unpack some of the things that he and I talked about. I think there were there were a few things in particular that I think will give us a good jumping off point for further discussion. But I, I wanted to have you on in particular because I know that, like me, this is your favorite Superman uh, comic book story. And I just, I wanted to give you the floor, give you an opportunity to talk about Birthright and, and why why it, it's meant so much to you and why it's your favorite. Yeah, uh, Birthright, I, best origin story of Superman to me. Um, uh, it, what Mark Wade and Lenny Yu did, I felt was so contemporary and so fresh when it came out, but like still to this day feels that way. It feels very relatable. It's got a... Uh, uh, a tether to making Superman feel human and like someone you could see yourself in, but at the same time leans into the super heroics of it as well. So there's lots of like cool action and like fights and all the stuff that you want from comics, but it's like tethered with like a really good human core. And I, yeah, I just love this book. Like so good. Right on. Uh, that's, I mean, that's why, you know, it's resonated with me so much. I mean, just this idea of taking Clark at age 25 as he's trying to figure out where he came from and trying to figure out how he's going to fit into this world moving forward. It, it was uh, deeply relatable, um, even if, you know, you're not trying to figure out your alien origins. You know, we're all trying to figure out, you know, wh what what made us who we are and who we're going to be moving forward. And, and this just tapped into that, I think, in a, in a really uh, engaging way. Uh, the art was fantastic. Now, I noticed you said Lenel you. You might have noticed, because you got a sneak peek at the interview, uh, before we sat down to, re before I pressed record, I, I asked Mark, I said, how do you pronounce the artist's name? Because I've heard Lenel, Lanel, Lionel, and according to Mark Wade, it's Lanel, uh, and that was the pronunciation oh, wow. that uh, that we went with in the episode, uh, because I did check with him, so in case anyone is like, oh, that's an interesting uh, take on it, that is that is according to, uh, to Mr. Mark Wade. Oh, wow, cool, that's <laughs> good insight. But the art, I mean, the art is, right, like, and for you specifically as an artist, um, are there any specific panels or pages or scenes sequences like anything that you're like oh man like that's just aces i mean so i already heard the interview so you guys talk about a couple of them in the interview so i'm not going to spoil that maybe we can talk about it afterwards but uh yeah just i just like the way that he drew clark in general and like the way that he drew action was very kinetic like everything felt like it was moving and they had like a cool angular look to it so everything and like like a modernization to like say Jimmy looked very cool you know he didn't have like the bow tie or anything like like he kept every and like Lois looked beautiful like he he just had like he has a very cool aesthetic that is so unique to him and something that 
I feel like isn't really associated with Superman. Um, in terms of like when you think traditional Superman art, you don't really think like his kind of stuff, which makes me like it even more because it's so like different and like fresh. You know, even to this day, even though the, the book is like twenty years old, which is crazy to think. <laughs> Yeah, very, very much so. Uh, so again, I know you had a sneak peek at, at the interview. Um, I mean, what did you think generally? Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, it was it was great. It was so cool to like listen to you guys talk. Yeah, it was just really cool to hear some of those insights for sure. Right One on. in particular, I, I definitely want to dig into, <laughs> which I found really interesting. Cool. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I'll play the interview. And, and you know, he was... I have to say, uh, you know, he was very generous with his time and, and with just setting this up generally. Uh, you know, I really appreciated him uh, doing this. And uh, so, like I said, we spoke for uh, just under an hour. So I'm going to play that now. And then uh, you and I will come back and we'll, uh, we'll unpack some of it. So without further ado, here is my interview with Mark Wade. Mark, welcome. Happy to be here, sir. I appreciate you taking the time to do this, and this is the second solid that you've done me. Uh, you were also an interviewee in my documentary film, My Comic Shop Country, and I just want to publicly thank you on the record here uh, for taking the time to do that. It added so much to the movie to have your perspective in it. Oh, my pleasure, and it was a, it was a really good documentary. enjoyed it quite a bit, and I think you, you really did you know, a, a service to you know, the medium, the stores, everything that you were trying to do. Hey, I, that really means the world to me. So thank you very much. It's funny because I, you met my wife. She was there for the interview and she was there yeah. for pretty much all of the interviews that I filmed for the movie. And after you left, she told me that uh, she could tell I was a little nervous intervie <laughs> interviewing you. And I said to her, I was like, listen, I've been I've been a fan of, of this man's work for most of my life. I said it was very surreal to me, uh, you know, <laughs> to be <laughs> to be in that room interviewing him, I said. So uh, but hopefully we'll, I'll be a little bit more relaxed uh, for this one. <laughs> It'll be totally fine. <laughs> All good. So, uh, again, thank you so much for doing this. You know, we're here to talk about mm -hmm. Superman Birthright. And I shared this with you when I met you for the documentary. And I've gone on record on this podcast in previous episodes as saying that it is hands down my favorite telling of Superman's origin. And I'm now, I'm now going to go a step further uh, because after this last reread a couple of nights ago, I'm confident in saying it's my, it's my all-time favorite Superman comic book story. So I want to thank wow. you. I want to thank you for this story more than anything else. I, you know, I have a lot of questions and everything, but I just thank you for this story. No, that's very nice of you to say. I very much appreciate that. Thank you. That's, that's what made it worthwhile is that people really engage, especially people who not, you know, not you, but people who came up to me and said, I never liked Superman until I read this story. And now I get it. That was the best compliment. I think that's one of the, one of, one of the great strengths of the story is that, you know, I grew up reading Superman and it, it yeah. worked for me in a meaningful way, but you also had that response from people uh, who, you know, who didn't necessarily have that familiarity with and, and affinity for Superman. So, yeah. you know, it, it worked on so many levels. Uh, I have to share with you, and I'm not ashamed to admit this, there aren't that many comics that have brought me to tears over the years, but uh, especially this time, and um, since I saw you for the documentary filming, my wife and I had a son, he's one and a half today, and uh, as a father now, I, I'll tell you, I was in tears uh, during that oh, opening nice. sequence, and at the end of the book, it was, it was exceptionally moving. Thank you. I got to tell you, I, I, because credit is not a finite resource, I'm happy to share that a conversation with Terry Moore at, uh, where were we? At Heroes Con, I guess, in North Carolina. Uh, one breakfast, talking about the story as I was building it, and he was the one who suggested the connection at the end. I thought that was just brilliant. That's great. 
That's no, I'm uh, that that's really interesting to know. And you know, I was thinking about it as I was reading it because you know, of course, Jorel and Laura they they suffer this immense, you know, unfathomable tragedy of, of losing their world and having to send their son out there. But there's this added layer of they don't know, you know, they don't right, know right. what's going to become of him. And so what a gift that you gave them at the end of the story that they got to see he made it. That was the whole point. He made, that's all he need. That's all Jorel and Laura needed to see is that he made it. That's that the way they could go to face their, their death in peace, or at least feel like, you know, there's not a, that loose end. Yeah. It was, it was funny. I mean, when we were talking about the story and, and talking about the things that you change and you don't change, because here's the, I mean, here's the thing, obviously Superman's origins beat has been told dozens of times and there's little variations in some of the mythos, but it's basically the same story. Uh, but in the Superman that I grew up reading, the silver age Superman and bronze age Superman, uh, the, Krypton knew about Earth. And it was just part of the continuity backstory that they were aware that and Jor-El knew he was sending the kid to Earth. And it's the same way in the movie. Uh, in the Donner movie, he knows he's sending him to Earth. And I thought about that and I took the... It's one of the few things that I said, I'm going to just break with the past. And I decided it might be better if he didn't know. If that 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 extra layer of of horror to it that like extra layer of of pathos to the to losing your child and jetting your child off into the unknown is not knowing for sure so it was a risk because like i said in continuity whoops sorry in continuity he uh the you know jor knows but in previous in several previous continuities but i think this works i think he actually even in the john byrne re reboot he knew i think this is the first time we've done a Superman origin where Jor-El just patently just shot him into space, just crossing his fingers and hoping for the best. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it worked, uh, you know, extremely well. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, this whole notion of, you know, how much Jor-El knows about where he's sending Kal-El because I'm a massive fan of the television show Smallville. And that's a, that's informed a lot of my fandom, I'll, I'll be honest. Sure. And they they took it a step further and they actually took it to a degree that I, I wasn't, totally on board with but uh, and again I don't know how familiar you are with with uh, oh yeah, yeah okay so I mean they went so far as to say that Jorel really selected the Kents you know he had this this journey to earth as a young man and it was interesting and look they had 10 years so it, you know I think it's you know <laughs> it's understandable yeah. they're trying to you know add new layers to it but I felt that that was a that was a bridge too far I think it's it's far more emotional when uh you know you, they don't know you know, uh, no, I, I, it's 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 far more emotional, and that's important when you're dealing with Krypton because Krypton is just such a super science environment. No matter how you're, no matter what era you're coming to Superman, and Krypton is always the super science city, and science is their religion. So it's and it's nice to be able to put some inject as much emotion in there as you can. A hundred percent. And there's another aspect to Jor-El and Lara that uh, I I really appreciated. You know, throughout this story, there are a number of really clever and sometimes subtle reversals on the dynamics that you typically expect. And what I loved, especially as a dad, was that in this case, it was Jor-El who was scared and he wasn't yes. sure. And it was Lara who was, who was, who was pragmatic. And she said, listen, this is his best shot. What, what motivated that? Because that resonated with me so much. It, I want, I always wanted to like Laura more than I did. Um, because when, you're a child and you're reading the Superman origin and she says to Jor-El, 
You know, Dorel says, look, you can get in the rocket with a baby. And she says, no, my place is with you here. I, as a kid, you don't really understand the, the, you know, the bond between as you know, you're not an, you're not a, a father yourself. When you get to be an adult, uh, you know, old enough to understand the responsibilities that parents have to their children from a parent's point of view, that's insane. <laughs> that's, that's coldly insane that she would say, I'm just going to no, know, I know the baby, I know I could be with the baby, but I'm going to be with you instead. So I wanted a way to switch that up. I wanted some way to not only lose that, but also beef her up as a character. I mean, make her, you know, make sure that there's enough strength in both characters that it's clear that he's not getting everything just from Jor-El. In fact, Laniel was the one who made the brilliant thing about how she's got the spit curl. Ah. Not Jor-El. But Lara's got the spit curl in this one that he that Superman has. And I nobody's ever done that before or since. And I just thought that was great. Oh, that's such a great touch. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was actually, I, you know, I wanted to speak to you about uh, your, your penciler on this, Laniel. And, and, you know, so I, I have the birthright trade paperback and there are excerpts from your pitch uh, at the back of that, which was very interesting to read. Thank and you. I actually have Thank a couple you. of questions uh, on, on that front. Sure. But it specifically notes that you requested uh, Lineal Yu as your penciler on this. Uh, what what made him the right fit? I mean, obviously, seeing the finished product, I know. But, uh, you know, from your perspective, as you were setting out to do this, why, uh, why did you want to work with him on this? He'd been on my radar for six or seven years. He'd been on my radar since I was doing some X-Men stuff at Marvel, and I saw his work on Wolverine and was blown away and told him on the phone at that time that I... He was calling Bob Harris's office at the, the X-Men editor's office for some reason. And I just said, give me the phone because I want to tell him. I really want to work with you at some point. So he was, you know, he's on my radar. And then we started talking about who would draw this book. And DC had some suggestions. And all of them were fine artists. But the commonality was we all, we had seen their Superman before. We all knew what their Superman would look like. And I thought... Again, if you're going to try to modernize it and go for a brand new audience, you're not beholden to a Kurt Swan look or a Wayne Boring look. Go with somebody who can bring some heat to it. Somebody who's Superman, we have no idea what that would look like. And so that's why I, I fought for Laniel. And he just executed beautifully. He was, I mean, what a fantastic choice. He was tremendous. There are... Uh, I mean, we could do a whole episode on on his art in this, but there are there are a few uh, moments that really really jumped out at me. One of my, I think not only not only in this book, but one of my all time favorite images in a Superman comic is when you know Clark is at really his lowest point where, uh, you know, Lex has turned the public against him and he's ready to give up, and Lois, you know, kind of knocks some sense into him, you know, and he's and he's you know flying and he's got the glasses in one hand and he's got the cape in the other, and that that moment of just seeing the duet like to see it literally yeah. represented that duality between them. And then, you know, he puts on the costume and he fly and we have that full page, that splash page of him saying like hell. And he goes after them. What a powerful moment. That's that's again, Laniel was brilliant about that stuff. Laniel also threw in some other touches that I was not like I, I were, was unprepared for, but I thought it were really cool. I remember one of them being the super subtle thing that there's a, a diving suit in Perry White's office of all places in the New York city editor or the Metropolis editor's office, a, a diving suit. But he pointed out, no, that comes from the um, adventures of Superman TV show. And then, okay, awesome. Good tip. So Lineal was on, Lineal was on game. I'm so glad you brought up adventures of Superman 
because uh, I recently watched the vast majority of the series for the first time. I filled in a major gap in my Superman fandom and I yeah. watched it and it was a magnificent experience. That, yeah. that touch with the scuba suit is, is wonderful. And yeah. I was actually thinking about Adventures of Superman when we were talking about Jor-El and Lara because in the pilot episode of Adventures of Superman, I mean, that's a perfect example of, uh, you know, of, of, not an emotional Jor-El. I mean, he was right. pretty much yeah, like, all right, no. put the kid in the tin can and we'll, we'll send them yeah, off. Yeah. Uh, but that's great. And then as far as the, just the, the process with Lanil, I mean, how, how collaborative was it uh, as you were, as you were, you know, moving forward through this process? It was, I mean, it was not, it was not as collaborative as, as some relationships, like with when I'm working with Chris Somney on Daredevil or whatever, where we get to a, a point after a while we used to have a short, a shorthand, a short, you know, shorthand with each other. So, um, you know, and I can just give them vague directions as to here's the dialogue and here's the beats that you need to hit and go to not go nuts on that. And Lanier was more comfortable with a, a finished script, but that said, you know, he always had the freedom to change things up. If he's got a better idea, take a swing at it. If there's a better way of doing this, is there a better way of, of uh, revealing this thing, then go with that. And he just, like, he just exceeded my expectations at every, at every turn. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, he, again, he was such a, such a tremendous choice for this project, you know, continuing along about the, the pitch. And again, it, and it says, it says that there are excerpts. So I don't know how long the, the entire proposal was. There's a significant amount, it seems in the trade paperback, but I, I'm pretty sure that's most of it. I'm, I'm, I, the, I don't remember what it was, but the reason it's called, the reason it was excerpts is because there was one paragraph that we took out at the 11th hour because, and I don't remember what it was, but it could have been, it could have been read as a, a diss on somebody. And I don't remember what it was. It wasn't intended to be, but it was one of those things where if you read it, you know, paranoically enough, somebody might take offense. So we lop that out, but I think it's pretty complete other than that. Understood. Okay. No, that's really interesting to know. There's, it's funny because there's, I don't know, I don't know how to describe it. There's a, there seems to be like a, a, a little bit of a, of a tone throughout the pitch of wanting to assure DC that this wasn't going to be such a radical departure. And I was just wondering, you know, was that something that I mean, had DC given you a clear indication that that was a concern of theirs? Was it something that you were kind of concerned about? Like, where did that kind of come from? I, uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure I remember. I do know that the marching orders were, well, here's the thing. At that point, the project had to be signed off on by two people. It had to be signed off on by Dan DiDio, who ended up being the publisher, and it had to be signed off on by Paul Levitz, who was the publisher at the time. And I, Dan was always expecting me to go so far afield and completely in brand new directions that I, you know, I could, I could just walk off a cliff and, and, and he was expecting that sort of newness from it and that ab absolute change. Whereas I knew Paul would be resistant to that. So I was trying to basically, I was trying to play both sides, if you will. Wow, that's that seems like a very difficult yeah. line to it walk. It was a very difficult line to tell, and there were th I re I don't remember specifics, but I remember there being things that didn't get in because one or the other of them just was was vehemently opposed. I don't remember specifically what they were, but it was it was a juggling act. 
Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, I mean, you know, from from the reader's perspective, you know, I, I thought it really struck such a great balance between, you know, hitting a lot of those classic notes that you would want to see in a Superman origin story, but at the same time feeling very fresh and modern. You know, I was, at, if my math is right, I think I was 16 when it came out. So I was in high school and, you know, I've read it now, I mean, I don't know, at least half a dozen times and now I'm 34, you know, and it's crazy to think that it, it came out as long ago as it did. Boy, almost 20 years ago. You're right. Holy smokes. Yeah. Yeah. But actually on that note, um, you know, one thing that struck me with my reread was there, there are a few instances in the book that I wish I could say they felt dated, but sadly they, they weren't, you know, Clark stops a school shooting, you know, something that, that continues to be an issue. Um, there was also something that, uh, I don't think this would have jumped out at me at the time, but in light of the past four years that we've lived through, really mm. jumped out at me. And that's when, you know, when Le- and you probably know where I'm going with this, but where, where Lex, yeah. uh, you know, makes the claim that Superman is an alien, but he provides no proof. And Perry, you know, is hounding Clark. He's like, you got to write the story. And Clark's like, well, but he didn't provide any proof. And Perry says, well, the fact that he says it alone is news. And that's yes. very much what yes. we live through. That's very much what we live through. Yes. So, yeah, I, 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 yeah, no, I don't want to just risk alienating some of your viewers by going on a political jag. So yes, so let's just leave it at that. Yeah, no, fair enough. And I'll be honest. I mean, I, I tend to stay away from that as as well yeah. on the show, um, not because I don't feel it's worth discussing, but just because this usually is not necessarily right, it's not the, the forum for it. The forum for yeah. it, but it was just, it really just jumped out at me. So I, I you know I felt it was it was yeah. worth mentioning, and um, you know, so so that in particular, uh, you know, really made an impression, but. You know, on the note of the of the newsroom and Perry and, and the journalism side of this, one of the things that I so appreciated, and part of this is probably because my undergrad background is journalism, but even beyond that, just as a Superman fan, I loved that journalism wasn't just a means to an end for Clark. No, no, no. it's something he was genuinely interested in. It's something that meant something to him. It wasn't just... Oh, I could be a fireman. I could be a policeman. I could be a journalist. You know, because journalists are always the, the given reason was always because journalism. You know, journalists are going to be the first to hear about any disaster, any any news, and so a Superman that'll help me. And that was the excuse given in the comics. But I liked I liked that Clark really embraced journalism as as its own thing. Yeah. No. I mean, it was it was a it was something that I really appreciated. Something that. You know, a lot of times is overlooked. And on that note, this is, I think, the the biggest picture compliment that I want to pay your work here, which is that there are numerous aspects to the origin story. The journalism piece is one of them that that I feel are, are often taken for granted. They often happen in the origin stories because they're supposed to happen in the origin stories. <laughs> you know, yeah. and you took the time uh, to to explain why and, and, you know, like why he would put on a costume with a big S yeah. on his chest and become a public facing superhero. That was everything to me. That was the whole purpose of the whole thing to me is to basically to reintroduce Superman as if he'd never been done before or if he'd been laying fallow for 20 years nobody had published him i really wanted anyone who all they knew was that superman is clark kent and he lives in metropolis and that's all they knew i wanted them to be able to pick this up and understand superman so that's why we hit why he's wearing a costume why he does what he does why what motivates him is such an important part of of the book and what motivates lex is also an enormous part of the book and that those are things that you can't take for granted when you're writing 
You can't just, it can't just be, I mean, you can write a Superman story where he's doing the right thing just cause. You can't, you know, you can write a Spider-Man story where he's doing the right thing just cause. But it's more meaningful if there's a personal connection to it, if there's a reason for doing what he does. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and, you know, on the note of Lex, when we mentioned Smallville before, um, that was one thing that I was curious about was the, uh, the reintroduction of this past between Clark and Lex and Smallville. Was that, was that an attempt at, 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 at synergy? Was that something that you wanted to do on your own? A little bit of both? Where did, where did that come from? It was, it was not from Smallville. Oddly. It was from Silver Age comics. It was from like what, 1960 to about 1986 for like 25 years. That was part of Superman's history is that he and Lex grew up together in Smallville and that the accident happened and therefore Lex Luthor. And I, I cling to that. I cling to that because to me that makes their relationship so much more interesting. It tells me so much about Lex being a kid alone in a, you know, and, and so smart, so smart that he can't even talk to people in Smallville. It's like he's talking, it's like he's Diane Fossey. You know, he's trying to make his way through that. And, and Clark is the only human being in, in, the, in, the, in the town who he can even stand because the Kent kid kind of gets it. And, and Clark embraces young Lex because, again, if you're Clark and you can see things that, you know, don't even have names because you're the only person who can see them. You know, if you can hear the world in a way that nobody else can hear it, you can talk about that with Ma and Pa and they'll listen as best as they can and they'll, they're not dumb people, but it's not, it's not their world. But with, with Lex, you could really finally, he could finally be with somebody who could sort of understand what it was like to be different and what it was like to have abilities above and beyond, you know, the ordinary people and, 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 and what that brought out. So, so that relationship is key to me. And it's also key to me, the one, the, the thing that we did, the thing that I changed about it was that in the Silver Age comics, it was, Lex had come up with, Lex was trying to come up with the formula for life. He was trying to invent life in a, in a, in a small lab in, you know, Smallville nowhere in the night, you know, in the 1940s. And he managed to succeed and he managed to succeed. But in the, in that moment of glee, when he finally I have life. I have created life in my lab. He knocks over something, a fire starts, and Superboy comes by, and without looking in, without even bothering to check out the situation, he just blows out the flames. And in doing so, he destroys Lex's experiment. When when Lex then loses it and snaps at Superman, it's not, you made me lose my hair from the chemical fallout of the accident. It's not, it's not that. It's, I created life. I did something that no one on the planet could do, and you're jealous of me. You know, he's already an emotionally unstable kid anyway. That was the snapping point. You were jealous of me. You, you hate me, so I, I hate you for taking this away from me. And that became the foundation of their, of their relationship all during the Silver Age. And I, I couldn't do that exactly because in, I didn't want there to be a Superboy in continuity here because that was, that was kind of actually a mandate from DC. They didn't want it that they didn't want a Superboy career for the character. So I had to leave that out. So if he's only Superman, then what would that, how would that, you know, work out? What would that, what would that turning point be? And I kept the basic beats. It's Lex is doing an experiment. 
Lex is emotionally unstable. Lex is a jack-in-the-box with one note left to go. And Clark is his only friend. And he's doing this experiment. And Clark realizes this is a bad idea. And in Birthright, the difference being that in, in Birthright, Lex says, look, I found this green rock that's going to power this machine. And Clark has never dealt with kryptonite before. He never knew it existed. And suddenly he has that sort of horrible, weak feeling. And in that moment, Lex interprets that as Clark turning on him. To, Clark's looking at him like, like everybody else in town looks at him, like he's nuts, like he's crazy. And that's not really what happened. But, that's, but Clark had come over to tell Lex, I'm from another planet. As in, in Birthright, Lex's big goal was, I need to prove there's something else out there. I want, more than anything, to prove that there is life beyond Earth. There's life out there somewhere. So the, you know, the irony of having your only friend be an alien and you don't know. In Birthright, it was set up that Clark saw that Lex was this close to just snapping. And he went over there with the intent of, you know, I'll tell you. I'll tell you that, you know, everything you want is true. Everything you believe is true. And here's how you know. But before he could do that, the kryptonite came out, Clark recoiled, and Clark made his key error. The same as blowing out the, you know, the flames in the Silver Age and, and ruining the experiment. Clark still screwed up. Clark, in that moment, if he had just said, listen, there's a reason this is affecting me this way. I don't know what's going on, but I'm an alien. Here's what's going on. If he told Lex who he was in that moment their entire history would have changed. And Lex conceivably would not have snapped. He may have, but he may not have. And so Superman in the Silver Age always had to deal with the guilt of, I, I did something stupid and Lex kind of went over around the bend and I bear some responsibility for that. And I wanted to recreate that. So that's the, you know, that's the way it is in Birthright. He, again, he screws up Clark screws up and therefore Luther. Now it's, we can all look at it and go, okay, Luther probably would have turned into a villain anyway. It's not, you know, and it's not like Clark did anything awful. It's just a momentary hesitation. But if you're Superman, you can't help but feel like there's a little bit of a responsibility for, because the, and the tragedy of that being that you've cost the world you there's a chance that you did something as a young man that cost the world the kind of genius that only comes around every hundred years something a genius that could have transformed the world for the better and because you were because super, no one's harder on superman than superman right so superman's attitude is i don't know that he would have i don't know that i could have saved him to go on the on the path of you know the the the, the, you know, the straight and narrow but i certainly didn't help so that was that a long answer to a short question, but that was the Smallville stuff. That was, it was really it, nothing to do with the TV show, although it helped that it was something that a lot of people already knew who, were, who weren't familiar with, who were familiar with the TV show, but not with the comics. But it straight up came from the Silver Age. Gotcha. And, you know, knowing your, uh, your, your knowledge and your love of the history of Superman, that's kind of what I figured and that made sense. But just given the timing of this, when Birthright came out relative oh, yeah. to the TV show, that was something that I was always curious about. But, you know, it was one, it, it was so interesting to hear you lay that all out. And it, it, it plays so powerfully in the pages of the comic, um, for all the reasons that you said. And, 
you know, just this parallel that you established between uh, Clark and Lex, where, you know, Clark has all these experiences where, especially when he's, you know, traveling the world and when he does reveal his powers, that reaction from people, that fear, and that's, you know, that's what Lex sees from other people as well. So, you know, to kind of have that, you know, between them um, was was really interesting and, uh, and yeah, real tragic end to, you know, to their time in Smallville. Yeah. The, it's it's like you know Batman and Two Face and Harvey Dent. It's like the the, the 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 best villains are the ones who were your friend. Doctor Doom and Reed Richards could have been could have been friends. Those are the those to me those are the best most compelling villains. The ones who just went the other you know very similar but took a different path. Yeah, and I know certainly you know you there were certain parameters of, of continuity that you were working with in here. But I mean, do you think there's a version of the story where it would work where Lex really remembers Clark and recognizes him as Superman when they're in Metropolis, but, you know, keeps that to himself because that's, you know, power that he has, you know, over Clark. And I mean, do you see any kind of version where that, where that would necessarily work? There is, but I don't, I don't, it doesn't sit well with me. I, I think that the idea that Clark's identity is a secret is a very important part of the mythos. Mm-hmm. And that's not to slag anybody who's, you know, Bendis or anybody who's done Superman stories recently where he's revealed his identity to the world. That's, you know, again, that's, uh, there's a whole bunch of different Superman, Superman. And, and, you know, every, everybody is, every version is somebody's favorite. My favorite is that this, you know, this is the mask that he gets to hide behind and, and giving that knowledge to Luther I don't know what you get out of it in the long run because it's a, it's a great short-term story, but then he's going to, you know, do everything he can to make Clark Kent's life miserable. And he's going to go after the Kents and he's going to, you know, go after the planet all the time. He's going to go after all the, you know, he's going to, so at that point, also there's no reason for Lex to not just tell that to the world if he knew. Right. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, I also, you know, I appreciated, and just now as you were describing Clark as the mask, you know, you pushed up your glasses. And but what I what I loved about this, and I know this, I know this was part of your proposal, was that you know Clark, the idea with with the the Clark Kent, mild manner Clark Kent is it would be just that mild manner. The idea isn't that he would be the Christopher Reeve, you know, cartoon knocking over into right. everything, drawing you know, drawing that attention. Right. I right. That was that was I really enjoyed that aspect. He wants to be he he wants to fade in the background. He wants to be the guy that you can't remember whether he was at the office party. That's the guy he needs to be as Clark, or else he doesn't function. Yeah, and the actually, more, the more attention he gets, the more it, the easier it is to look behind those glasses and go, "Hey, wait a minute, you look Superman." And there there are a couple of great moments. Uh, so you know, kudos to you and, and to Lanil because the art in particular in these scenes really really jumped out at me. Where where Clark is interviewing with Perry and he, you know, he has this moment where he speaks up and he stands up for himself and he realizes like, I got to dial it back. And there's this little, this small panel where he closes his eyes. And I mean, my take on it at least was, you know, this resignation of like, I gotta, I gotta do this. And he knocks over the pens, you know, it's such a, such a great moment. It's, I, I, it's a struggle for Superman to be Clark Kent. I really think it's a struggle for him to be, Metropolis Clark, I call him. I mean, there's really there's really three Superman. There's there's Superman, there's Clark Kent, the Smallville Clark Kent, the guy who grew up with the Kents, that you know, the well-adjusted kid, and then there's sort of Metropolis Clark, who is the mask, who is the one with the glasses and the you know and the mild-mannered nature, and just trying to to sort of stay under the radar. And it's a struggle to be Metropolis Clark because 
you have to be on guard about everything you say and do every split second of every day. Yeah. And, and, you know, the scene in particular where, you know, the rest of the Daily Planet staff, when they ditch him, you know, and he can hear them with, with his super hearing and he's sitting there alone at the table in that restaurant. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, it's heartbreaking. And his only sin is being, you know, a little dull and a little quiet. Yeah. 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 No, I'm glad you picked up on that because his, yeah. lon- his, his loneliness is also, I mean, something that is very important to me is uh, that I think is a very important part of Superman. The lonelier he is, the more interesting a character he is because he's the last of his kind. And the, I, I, frankly, I mean, I, I'm not even I'm not even keen on the Kents being alive. I personally think Superman works better without even the Kents being alive because those scenes where Superman flies home and has pie with Ma and Pa and talks about his troubles and what do I do about Brainiac and Pa Kent says something sage and wise. I mean that's very fun and very familial and very humanizing, but it it doesn't speak very well of Superman as as, you know, the leading authority on how to deal with Brainiac or whatever. It doesn't, it, 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 infant, it infantilizes him a little bit, I think. And I don't like, I don't like that. Interesting. So, I mean, so that's an aspect of the character that, that I really do enjoy. And I, I think that's in large part informed by, you know, growing up, you know, in, in the, the burn era of the comics sure. and they were around and, and they were there in Lois and Clark and for, you know, most of Smallville. And, and so, you know, I think that that informs a lot of that for me, but it's interesting. And, and I get why people like it because again, I see the I see why that works for people. It doesn't work for me, but that's a great example. The Kent's being alive is a great example of one of the choices I made that was not. In other words, every cho- I mean every choice I made right was was with the intent of doing as little harm as possible to the legend and, and trying to not to mess with things too bad. So I, in my world, Lex isn't a corporate businessman. You know, he's a super scientist. So, uh, but I understand people recognize him as, you know, a good guy in, in, in Metropolis. I, in my world, Superman works better without Ma and Pa Kent because he, he, again, it's that thing from the movie. Again, the, the first movie, I, you know, all my powers and I couldn't even save them. But they've been alive in the comics for, you know, 30 something, 35 years now or whatever it's been. Uh, so, uh, I get that if I went against that grain, people would resist. Um, and look, I was I was always playing that that game of I I don't want to change so much that people who are fans of Superman for the last thirty five years or at that point, you know, last twenty years, twenty seventeen years, uh, that they just you know they had no use for it. They would pick it up and they would go, oh, "This is too different from the Superman I know." So if I'm humble enough to know that just because I don't like this element of the mythos, it doesn't mean it's wrong or it doesn't mean that it doesn't work. It just means it's a personal taste thing. So I have to be with the, all of some, all of birthright and had to be very careful to always separate out my ego and my own personal taste from the overall job so that I didn't just make it, my Superman and suddenly it's a comic you could have read in 1967. I, you know, I, I really respect that. And, you know, I, you know, I too, I can see it from, from both sides, especially with respect to the Kents. And this is something that over the course of the, this podcast now that I've been doing for a little while, you know, I've sort of kind of opened myself up to, to looking at, you know, different, different, uh, you know, 
approaches to the Kents, and I certainly can appreciate the value in you know having Jonathan in particular pass at that moment as Clark is transitioning to adulthood, and and like you said from the the first Superman movie, learning that lesson, such a critical lesson that for as powerful as he is, he can't. So right. I do and, like I do see it both ways, and it's not just the lesson; it's the are you still there by any chance, making sure you're still there. I'm still here. Okay, my screen just went out. Um, it's not just the lesson; it's also the tragedy of it. It's that you know, people talk about Superman as if he has no problems, if he's, you know, nothing bad can happen to him or has ever happened to him. Well, no, he lost his home world, but he was too young to really remember. So you could argue that that's not that impactful. But the idea of losing his parents is a tragedy that we all go through at some point or another in our lives. And, and it, again, it just underscores, it's not just, not just, not just him learning the lesson, but it just underscores in general that there are things that even Superman can't fix. Right. Yeah, no, uh, exactly. Um, so, you know, you've spoken about Lex and, and the Kents. Is there anything else that that jumps out of you that if you didn't have any parameters to sort of work within that you that you the direction that you would have wanted to take this origin story in? I think those are the big ones. I think that those were the the big ones that everything else I think I would have I would have stuck with. I mean, I, I frankly, I would have if it if it were just me. I would have had him be Superboy when he was in Smallville, but that's again just me. Um, I, I, other than that, I don't think there was there was anything that I that I held back on or any any other. I don't think there was a place that I wanted to go that I wasn't allowed to go. Um, so that all worked out just fine. the The one thing that got sort of muddied is that in my mind, um, the cape was with the s symbol was the flag of krypton and the pushback i got from dc was no no no. yeah it's 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 the symbol of the house of l i said yes i know but it, it can be both people have family crests it can be both and so the idea that it was the flag of krypton is something that just kind of gets buried and and kind of we we lost that element but that's okay it's 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 i think it still works as you know this is we're passing something on to you this 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 symbol of this world that, that you've left behind. The reason I want it to be the flag of Krypton and not just not just a, a, a Jor-El insignia is because he's the last son of Krypton. He's not the last son of the L family. He's the last son of an entire planet. So having the flag of Krypton with him, I thought that would that that worked. Um, and it just it, but it didn't take. You know, no matter what you do with origin stories, there's going to be stuff that takes, and there's going to be stuff that the readers don't take to as well they didn't take very well to the idea that superman can see things die um and and this crushes him uh that the whole scene in there where he's talking about how living things just have a glow about them they they all when you have superman's super senses everything that's alive has a certain glow to it that he can't explain because there's nobody else in the universe who can even see it and when it goes away it's just the ugliest thing in the world to him. It's the, it's just it just curls us it, when it, it's just the ugliest, most gruesome, most horrible thing to see is that that life aura around people just turned to black, and so that's now that has a lot to do with his you know his his complete and utter reverence for life, and people didn't like it. People looked at it and they called it oh soul vision. He's got soul vision, isn't that cute? That's stupid, and that you know that didn't take. So there's going to be stuff that takes and stuff that doesn't take, but. I, I think, by and large, if nothing else, the idea that the, that the S 
means something, that it stands for hope. If they take nothing else away from this, that's the takeaway. That's the one thing that really stuck from Birthright. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I, again, I you know, I... Uh, those those specific uh, touches that you were just describing, I thought they worked well in the story. And, and you know, you also make Clark a vegetarian. And, it, you know, it, it <laughs> if he can see that living aura of, you know, right. of, of, of people well, and animals, like it, it's natural. Yes. Yeah. And the, the, the pushback was, well, the Kents were farmers. That's stupid. Well, I didn't say they were cattle farmers. <laughs> you know, right. they could be they could be corn farmers. <laughs> they could, you know, it doesn't. Uh, anyway. Yeah. It also adds, it could add a little level of tension, right? It's like, even if they were cattle farmers, it's like, and Clark doesn't even eat, (laughs) Clark doesn't even eat the meat. I'm sure there are vegetarian farmers. There must be, you know, (laughs) or children of farmers who are vegetarians. There must be. So it, again, I'm like, that's one of those things that I threw out there. It didn't take. All right. I'll, I'll let that one slide. So, yeah. One thing, you know, I wasn't even really sure how to ask this, so I'll just share my perspective as a fan, you know, sure. as a fan of Mark Wade and as a fan of Mark Wade's birthright. Um, it always kind of bugged me that we had, you know, yet another Superman origin story told in the comics not long after. And it, again, from the fan's perspective, it, it felt like birthright didn't have the opportunity to really take root nope. the way Man of Steel had. Nope, did not. It because, I mean, that was the intent and that was the goal. But about halfway through, you know, the the powers that be thought, uh, not sure we like this story very much. So let's just call this an alternate version of Superman's origin. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Jeff Johns. Got a job for you. Uh, that's kind of how that fell out, which is kind of a shame because I, I was never... <sighs> There's a period of DC in the basically in the 2000s where I was never really allowed to be part of the club the way I was in the 90s I just simply wasn't allowed because there are certain people who were working there at, at the time in the, in the 2000s who didn't care for my work I mean flatly didn't like my work and so this is one of those cases where I was doing my best but the guy in charge not Paul the guy in charge looked and said I don't really like this so Jeff we like you Jeff we love you, Jeff. Jeff, you do it. And I don't begrudge Jeff. I mean, and Superman Secret Origin was a fun story. But I I do, I am a little sad that it happened about an hour and a half after Superman Birthright finished up its run, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's totally understandable. I, you know, I, you know, I enjoyed Secret Origin well enough. And I certainly, yeah. I, I respect the work that those guys did. It uh, Just speaking for myself, it didn't resonate the way that yours did with me. And it, again, that, just as a fan that always kind of bugged me, but at the same time, right. We're almost 20 years out from birthright and, and we're still talking about it. And I would imagine, I mean, is this, is this one of those works that you tend to hear uh, a lot about from fans? Like, you know, when there are conventions or on social media, I would imagine that must be gratifying, even if it, it it really is to know if this, it, it, I, I seem to be blessed with this ability to write stuff that isn't terribly hot selling when it comes out but ends up being evergreen like the flash book when i was writing flash it it always was a mid-level book i mean you know mid-list book it didn't do terribly well it was okay but people still talk about it and that's terrific so you know same with birthright same with a, a few other things that i've done it didn't it it its success sort of outlived its original run 
you know, sort of, uh, I know we're nearing the end of our time here. I just wanted to hit on a couple. Also, can other... you even see me anymore? I can't, it's so dark in this room. <laughs> it, it Am I a, just a shadow? It did get a little darker. I can still see you though. <laughs> okay. I can, I can brighten you up a little bit in, in post-production. I think we'll, 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 we'll make it work. Uh, okay. but I, I can still see you. And, uh, but, you know, you know, I mentioned before, you know, some of these reversals and we talked about Jorel and Laura, um, again, I know as much as, you know, you, you prefer the version of the story where the Kents are, you know, are no longer in the picture. I thought you used Jonathan and Martha to great effect. And Thank you. again, as far as another reversal, you know, Martha was far more active in this story yes. than she often yeah. is active on the UFO message boards. Like it made, it made so much sense. That made so much sense to me. If you have a kid who grows, who wants to be an Olympic diver. At least one of those parents is going to be in the Olympic diving world, man. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be on every message board. They're going to be part of communities. They're going to be doing what they can to get their kid to the Olympics. And Martha Kent's no different. I mean, she finds a baby out of a rocket ship. She's going to start poking around. And that's that made sense to me that she would be not a conspiracy nut. I mean, she's not crazy, but she was heavy, heavy UFO fan and UFO you know, student. So I, I, I gave them, and they gave them a relationship that didn't, uh, that was different than his relationship with his dad, Jonathan. Uh, let me also say this, actually, we, I didn't take, I didn't take Lex Luthor from Smallville. The one thing I did take from Smallville, which is to my mind, Smallville's greatest achievement is that until Smallville, the Kents were always grandparent figures. Yeah, they were his parents, but they were always in their 60s. They were always white-haired people who were bland vanilla and didn't really have personalities and didn't really, you know, they were just, there was no, there was never any tension or conflict between parent and, and child. And for the, for the TV show, for Smallville to make the Kents young and therefore they feel like real parents and there's a real tension in that relationship between child and, and parent that was inspired. And so I took that wholeheartedly. Yeah. That's always one of the things that I loved about the Smallville TV series yeah. that they were, they were, they were younger, they were vital, they were vibrant, they were active. Uh, yeah. it was, it was such a breath of fresh air, you know, when the show started to see that it's like, wow, like this is yeah. really, you know, a different dynamic to play. And, um, and yeah, in, in Birthright, I thought it worked great. In your pitch, you mentioned uh, a great untold Martha story that, uh, that, that you, you teased it. Is there, is there anything there that you would share or do you want to still hold that, hold that back? I, I, I still, I don't think there's anything wrong with basically, you know, spilling it, which is basically, I just, in, in my back pocket, I've got a story where, you know, teenage Clark Kent and Ma Kent end up in Area 51 exploring and they you know, they run afoul of something and suddenly the entire United States army is after Clark Kent and Martha Kent and they're on the run and they're trying to figure out what to do without revealing who they are. I think that could be a really fun story. Yeah, I, that would be, uh, that would yeah. be really interesting. Uh, well, I guess, you know, really now wrapping up and kind of building off of that, uh, I, I guess a couple of little related questions here. One was, um, you know, at, at the time, was there any, any hope on your part or, or anything that, you know, DC might've said that led you to think that you would have the opportunity to tell more stories within that birthright timeline, or was this always 12 issues self-contained and done? It was always 12 issues self-contained and done. Nobody ever spoke to me about doing anything more in that, in that sort of universe per se, because they had, you know, they, they had their version of Superman that they liked, which is great. That's the, you know, the, the one who's married which again, 
I, I can't wrap my head around. I, it great, works for people. It's awesome <laughs> that people love married Superman. Uh, I That works for a lot. Of, I'm not going to knock that for a second, but it's just not... I can't wrap my head around it because it gets back to the idea of loneliness being such an important part of his character to me. So there really wasn't a place for me to go. There, I was offered the Superman book three times um, at, in, I think, in the aftermath of this. And every single time, three times, and every single time, Lucy yanked the football out at the very last second. There was always something where, we, okay, you're going to do it. And then I get the phone call the next day going, yeah, well, you know, things have changed. Or this person who quit, ah, they decided they're going to come back. And, and so there's always, I was always this close. So um, I've sort of wrapped my, I've sort of made my piece the fact that I've maybe told all but one of the great Superman stories I still have to tell. Um, and I still have one in my hip pocket. And I can't say anything other than to say that DC and I have been having really good conversations. Oh, that's very intriguing. I will say as a fan, I would love, and I, I know there, there are many others, uh, people I know and you know, <laughs> others I don't, uh, who I'm sure would love to see you do, uh, you know, a full on Right. So obviously, you know, I, I mean, of course, we have Kingdom Come and you wrote Superman and JLA, but to see you do a full on sustained run uh, on yeah. a Superman book or even just another Superman story, anything, you know, would, would be wonderful. I, I hope that those conversations uh, prove fruitful. You know, I'll, I'll certainly be watching. It's really funny. I, I'm pretty yeah. I'm pretty confident things will work out. Yeah, that's. I, I, that's really exciting to hear. Uh, that's because that was actually one of the things that I was going to ask you, uh, you know, about the you know potential of writing more Superman in the future. Uh, so, I mean, it sounds like that that might be its own thing. I guess generally, though, would you have any interest in writing if the opportunity came about to do, you know, say, birthright a birthright sequel, for example, where it's like a year or two in in the life of a young Superman? Is that something that would be appealing? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it would be. So. Ask me again in six months, but yes. I might be inviting you back on this podcast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that time. You know, it's it's fascinating to me. I love, you know, this is now the second time we've actually had a, a conversation and it's, it's, I always love talking to you. What's so interesting is that, you know, talking about, you know, your view on, on the Kents and on the marriage, we, we see the character, I think, in, di in very different ways because those are aspects that I really like, yet you wrote my favorite Superman story, so... <laughs> There's again, it's it's the beauty of a character like Superman is I've as I've learned to accept is any version is somebody's favorite. You know, again, you covered so much ground in those twelve issues. I loved you know the the take on Lois. I mean, you really again not taking anything for granted. You showed why, and there were so many great moments where you showed why he would why he would fall for this woman. Yeah. I was just curious were there were there things that you were like, oh, if I had three more issues, I would have done. I don't know, this with Perry or this with Jimmy. I mean, was there stuff that you Jimmy, like, oh, for I sure. I would yeah. not, I mean, not specific, but I just know I would love to spend more time with, with Clark and Jimmy because there's a, a subtle distinction and it comes from the radio show, actually. I don't even know they did it on purpose in the radio show, but I'm going to say they did. And I used it in Birthright and it's something that very few people do. It's that everybody calls Jimmy, Jimmy, except Clark. Clark calls him Jim. Nobody else does. And that is, that is the bond they have. Like, like Jimmy looks at Clark as like, here's somebody who's, here's the one person in this entire newsroom who takes me seriously and sees me as an adult. And so I, I would love to do more with that relationship. Yeah, that, no, that would be terrific. I love, I do love that dynamic. Uh, listen, I, I can't thank you enough for, for taking the time to do this again, as a fan of this 
book for you know almost 20 years now almost 20 years now it's to have the opportunity to talk to you about it and to ask these questions uh you know i i really appreciate it i know you you know you could do any number of podcasts and i'm sure you get a ton of these requests so i really uh, i really appreciate this is there anything i didn't ask you about birthright that you really wanted to talk about or anything that you're like i can't believe he didn't ask me that I don't think so because I think I I think I took us on enough you know bends and twists and uh, tangents as we went that I think we covered pretty much everything. Yeah. So oh I pro I this really is the last thing this the you know Kevin Smith famously told the story about when he was working on a Superman movie with uh, with with John Peters then he wanted a that spider. was all Lanil that was all okay. Lanil giant spiders. <laughs> I remember looking at that and going oh oh that's all people are going to see is that but that's it it's that's one of those gags that was that wasn't great at the time but so much time has passed that nobody gets it anymore so it's okay yeah no it to it's to it's it totally works but uh, no i was yeah. always curious about that yeah. uh well i again unless there's anything else you want to say i think uh, i think that'll do it for us all right terrific thank you well, thanks for having so, me so so much i really really appreciate it you bet all right, there you have it. That was my interview with Mark Wade. So uh, I have a couple of follow-ups, things that, for the most part, I like I said before, I really did get to cover just about everything that I wanted to. There was one thing that I that I didn't mention, and then a couple of other things that I've thought about since then. Uh, but I wanna I wanna toss the ball to you first. Uh, anything that you wanted to kind of pick up on? Well, the uh, when you asked me about the images before, when I think birthright, the one that sticks in my head is the one where he's like that splash page where he's flying forward and he says like hell and his eyes are red. Like, and you guys talked about that. That's such a such a cool image because he looks tough and like epic. You know, like there's another one where he's flying through the city and I think it's at the last um, when those like spider monster things are attacking the city and it's just like a really cool it's like a three-quarter shot of him like flying forward and like just a really great look of determination on his face like the facial expressions he drew were so good and um also when mark was talking about how which i had never even noticed this until he mentioned it but that lara was the one who has the spit curl right not Jorel. like i have that yeah i had never even like connected that before and like it's very cool very very cool yeah, same here. Uh, it was one of those things, and, and he said it. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like of course. <laughs> but yeah, you know, sometimes these things just, um, you know, just don't register. Uh, the the one thing that I that I, I didn't ask him, and it's funny, I did have some notes, and I got through just about everything. But there was one that um, that I didn't. But I I could probably guess the answer. You know, we talked about so many of the choices he made about what to include, but there was one thing he didn't include in this telling of the origin, and that's, you know, Clark being found by the Kents, like the rocket landing on Earth. Mm. And it's always interesting, right, like what you include and what you don't include. But, I mean, I would assume, aside from, you know, only having a certain number of pages and issues to work with, maybe he felt that, you know, that's been covered enough, and if he didn't necessarily have, like, a new spin on it, Maybe it maybe it, it wasn't necessarily worth including, or also, and I think this. If I had to guess, I would say maybe this is really more the 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 true answer. That it, while it would have been cool to see, it wasn't really necessary for the 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 story, the specific story that he was telling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I mean I never even thought about that until just now that you don't actually see that. But like what I do remember is that that sequence where like you see the rocket flying and then like it kind of like morphs into a bullet that yeah. like his hand is catching and that's such a that's a super cool like breakdown of panels so i don't, I don't know if that was him or lanil who who like came up with that but um but yeah i think that was a 
a very powerful way to connect connect it right through without having to actually show the rocket like hitting you know yeah i love that too that stood out to me as well uh when i was doing my reread it's like oh like that it really is uh yeah just such a great way to kind of like just bridge you know those parts of, of clark's journey visually like it was yeah that was a really really nice touch i like that a lot yeah um you know one of the things that i asked him was you know does he think that there's a version of the story that would work where lex knows clark's secret uh, when they're in Metropolis, but, um, you know, but that the dynamic would still work and he wouldn't out Clark and, and all of that. And, you know, as you heard, he, you know, he, that's not a take that he, <laughs> he was a fan of, but I yeah. guess, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to spend the time to, you know, to fully get into this, but I guess in my mind, I go back to uh, Lex and Clark's final scene in the series finale of Smallville. Mm-hmm. Right. Where they have this confrontation in the in the destroyed mansion. And this is the first time that the two of them are face to face in years. Right. Because Rosenbaum mm-hmm. had left the show. And I felt like the the tone of the scene between the two of them in that moment to me is the dynamic I would love to see explored where there's antagonism and they are not aligned. They are going to each be on their own path. But despite all of that, there's still this bedrock of their friendship and their shared history together. And I mm. think when you watch that scene, you know, Lex is, is, is encouraging Clark, you know, dark, you know, dark side is looming and, and Clark has to embrace his destiny and all of that. And Lex is one of the people who encourages him. He's like, you know, you know what you need to do. He you know, puts his hands on his shoulders like he always used to and says like, you know, you know who you need to be and what you need to do to, you know, to save us. And Clark's last words to Lex are like, I'm sorry, I couldn't save you. And I just, I don't know. I feel like there's a way that a dynamic like that could work moving forward. I don't know. What, what do you think? I mean, yeah. It, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I, I agree to what you're saying. I mean, obviously it would be up to the writer to, to come up with a scenario where that would work, you know? So like if Mark Wade personally doesn't feel that way, then like, Oh yeah. You know, obviously. Um, but like, I kind of agree with him though, that I like Superman's not kind of, I do agree with him that like, I like Superman's identity being not public. You know what I mean? Like, I think it adds a, a cool level of like relatability to him. You know what I mean? So that you can just have a regular normal life as opposed to, you know, everyone knowing he's Superman. Um, but yeah, I do think that in a version of what you're talking about could definitely work. Um, as if Lex just keeps it to himself, you know, for like long periods of time for long stories, you know? Yeah. No. And I'm, I, I am in agreement. I mean, I, I wouldn't want the public to know. Um, and, and as far as Lex knowing, I mean, I, I agree with, with Wade in the sense that again, the way Lex has typically been depicted, yeah, it probably wouldn't be believable that he would keep it to himself. I like, I agree with him on that. I guess in my mind, I just keep going back to that specific version of Clark and Lex from Smallville. And it's like, in my mind, I can buy that that Lex would keep that to himself because it's it's partly that knowledge is power, but it's also that despite the fact that they're enemies now, like they used to be best friends and there's something there, you know? I, so that's that's kind of what I was thinking about. But it was it was really interesting to hear him talk about, um, to talk about Clark and Lex and, and, you know, just all the choices that he made uh, generally. As you heard me say to him, though, it's it was fascinating to me that you know, you know, he's not a fan of the Kents being alive. Dude, that was the big thing that I want to talk to you yeah, about. Yeah, go for like, it. <laughs> yeah, well, no, because it's so funny because, like, 
like I agree with him on like everything he was saying except for that. And I just found that it's like so interesting that like he wants Clark to be like a total loner, which like I mean I, I get that there's like an appeal to that, you know, like the like the stoic kind of like loner hero, but like I never really thought of Superman as being that character, you know what I mean? So like I always like his parents being around and like the family like like we were talking about about Superman and Lois. Like I like the family aspect to him, you know, like I like if I had to think about it, like he's not a character that I would associate with being a loner, you know? And that's not to say I don't like those type of characters, because I do, you know, like I just it's just not, you know. Cause even Birthright, he's not like like a total loner, you know what I mean? So it was so interesting to hear Mark Wade say that, that like from his perspective, that's how he views him. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting because like that wasn't what I read at all in the, that book, you know? It, that was so fascinating to me. And, you know, it's, I know, you know, you heard the episode that I did uh, with Rich Roney um, uh, months ago now about the Superman 2000 pitch that Wade did with Morrison and Mark Miller and, and Tom Pyre, right? This uh, rejected attempt to take over the Superman books uh, at the turn of the century. And a big part of that was undoing the Lois and Clark marriage and erasing her knowledge of Clark's secret identity. And so, I don't know if you kind of put that together. It's like this idea. I think this really does become clear. This idea of Clark as a loner. He doesn't have his parents. He, you know, he doesn't have, you know, this relationship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like we talked about in, you know, in, in my discussion, you know, with Wade, obviously there are all different takes on the character and they can all be valid. And if, you know, you could tell a good story with it, it, it can work. And so much of what we like depends on what we grew up reading and watching, you know, that informs so much of it, I guess trying to look at it as objectively as possible and just thinking about the character, I guess I feel like even with his parents and even with Lois, there's always going to be some degree of loneliness and not fitting in just based on who he is and his, and you know, his alien origins. Not that he's a, yeah. lo not that he's a loner, but there's always some element of like, I'm the last of my, of my kind. And, and certainly, you know, growing up in Smallville and, and, you know, hiding that part of himself. So I guess I feel like, the loneliness is still there. I don't feel that you need to, you know, further, you know, further take away that support system. Well, well it's funny because like loner type characters usually like go hand in hand with them being like just total badasses as well, right? Like, like you think like Batman, you think like like any number of like like Wolverine, like you know, like any number of these characters that like are you think of as being those like aloof, tough loner characters like tend to be like the too cool for school like badass like like but like but people seem to not want that with superman you know what i mean they don't want him to be like super badass and too cool for school so it's it's it was really really interesting hearing him say that because it was almost as if he wanted to like change the type of character or at least how he sees him in his head is different than like most people view the character you know mm -hmm. so like yeah i just found that really interesting like yeah, and I, I feel like he's been married to Lois for so long now that, like, if they took that away in the main continuity, I think that'd be really weird. Like, I mean, I they did that, though like, in New Fifty Two. Yeah, but it was like an alternate, like, you know what I mean? Like, it was like an alt, like, take. It was like a new reboot kind of thing. I'm, just, I mean, like, like if they have them get divorced or something. Like, I'm saying, gotcha. like, if they like yep. continued gotcha. the thread, I think that'd be super weird. And like, I don't know, man. Like, I. I also think that like that type of Superman that he was describing that isn't married, doesn't have his parents. Like, I think that works 
better if he's a younger character. Like if he's like in his forties or fifties and he's this like, you know, like like angry. Like I just feel like the appeal wouldn't be as much. Like because I think like with this kind of like long form storytelling, like you kind of have to make the characters change and evolve as time goes on. You know, and and to Mark Waid's like obviously he's an amazing writer. Like he didn't force what he want. Like. You know what I mean? Like he he did he did a really good job of like taking like how he saw the character mixed with what had come before and kind of like working with it as opposed to just being like no this is you know what I mean like so yeah man it it was super interesting like like yeah it's crazy you know along those lines I was it was it was so interesting to hear him talk about how you know among the higher ups at DC, right? Like you had Dan DiDio pushing for new and different. And then you had Paul Levitz looking for the more, you know, traditional take. And, and, you know, so to kind of craft a book that offered both, mm-hmm. you know, you know, like we talked about, I think it's just such a, such a fine line to walk. Uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there was a lot of, you know, pressure trying to, yeah. trying to say, cause they're two very different objectives. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, Mark Wade, if you're listening, you hit a grand slam, man. This book is perfect. Like, like this is like a perfect comic book. Um, I, I tend to usually fall on the category if like, if it was like me and that like, like say like someone posed that to me and like one person was like, be traditional. One person was like being new and different. I typically tend to lean toward new and different just cause like, I think if you just start retelling the same crap over and over and over again, that's when people like, like there's just going to be a general attrition of like interest, you know what I mean? So like, I definitely understand the, the want of like what Dan DiDio wanted to like go new and different and bold and crazy. Like I definitely understand that. And like, but at the same time, I also understand Paul Levitz being like, we can't alienate the old, like it, it is this fine line you kind of have to walk, you know? Um, and I think he did it beautifully. Like he kept the tethers of what people recognize as Superman and, added new and different cool things, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, one other thing that, um, you know, didn't come up in my conversation with him, but I've been reflecting on this, uh, you know, since, since I did that recording and, you know, one other aspect of birthright that really resonated with me. And I think even more now than, than in prior readings, it, it just really made me appreciate the importance of Clark's heritage to him. And, I mean, yes, of course, the book generally, this idea of like, where do I come from? But I, I felt like it really, uh, you know, it, he just did such a great job of really making you feel for, you know, what what Clark was going through and wanting to know where he comes from. And I, I guess for myself, you know, I always fixate on the Smallville and the Metropolis. But this book, I think more than more than most other comic book stories or any other comic story, like really, really made me appreciate the Krypton of it all and why where he comes from is so important to him and why it's so meaningful when he puts that crest on. Like it, it really, mm-hmm. it really hit home for sure. And I prefer Mark Wade's take that the, that the S is the flag of Krypton, not the house of L. Like, I love that. That looks like that's the symbol for the entire planet, not just his family. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that makes so much sense to me. And I remember reading that the first time I read that book when I was like in high school or college and like reading the back of that book with that interview with him in the back of the graphic novel when he's, he mentions that. And to me, I just thought that was such a cool take. And I was shocked they didn't use that in the movies, Man of Steel. Like, I was shocked they they kept... I, I'm assuming it's because they wanted Zod to have a different symbol. Like, I'm assuming that's why they did that, 
why they kept it that way because like if they both had the s it'd be kind of right. strange i guess but um but yeah I, I thought that was just such a cool take and like i liked the idea that his mom made the costume but she made it that way because of what kryptonians wore yeah right it wasn't just like here's your like bright suit with like underwear on the outside you know what i mean like for no reason like i liked the idea that it um like she was trying to mimic what kryptonians wore in that holograph thing that clark had you know that was such a cool take as well yeah like i know that makes so much more sense right that both the symbol you know being the flag of the planet and also uh again that she had that inspiration because mm-hmm. I, I think, yeah, it um, and it also kind of brings his worlds together in a, in a really interesting way, right? Where it's you know the the design and the inspiration of the home world, but it's you know the woman who raised him, who's literally you know putting mm-hmm. it together for him uh, and putting her own her own spin on it. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it made me you know, and, and as Wade was saying, like you know, it, it, he was he was disappointed that the whole the idea of the S being the flag like never really uh, caught on, but. You know, it's still there in this story, and you know, you never know; it might be picked up again, you know, down the line, right? Yeah. As these stories yeah, go, I, I really wish they kept this this as like the the origin continuity because I remember reading Secret Origin, and I I didn't. I mean, I know that I know those guys worked hard on it, and I'm not trying to like badmouth it or anything, but like it felt like it was doing more navel gazing to the past and trying to like kind of like look on nostalgia with like the silver age stuff. And I, I never think that's a good idea. Like I, I like, I always like, like when we were talking about pushing forward, like it felt like this birthright was like a, like a new fresh modern origin that ironically I think still holds up as like a modern fresh origin. Like if you gave this to someone now, like nothing with the exception of like smartphones, like I don't really know what, what would feel dated about it. Whereas like when you bring in like, you know, the Legion of superheroes and him being Superboy and all these like, corn bally silver age things like i just it just doesn't hold up to me as well and that just might be a taste thing you know because like i'm younger you know i didn't grow up with the silver age stuff i mean i'm not you know i'm in my 30s but like i, I didn't grow up with the silver age stuff so like this stuff just doesn't resonate so maybe but um yeah i just wish they kept this origin being like the official it, it's my official one it's my canon origin yeah and that's the thing and and actually on that note so this is the first of three episodes on digging for kryptonite uh, in the month of April, examining Superman's origins. And I started with a special episode on Birthright because it's my favorite. And in my mind and yours, I know as we, cause we've discussed it, it's the best mm-hmm. after this episode um, next week. And then, and, and then two weeks after that, there's going to be one episode on all of the pre-crisis tellings of the origin across time and media and then we're going to do another episode on the post-crisis tellings of the origin across time and media. And uh, my guest for both is going to be Rich Roney. He and I did a massive deep dive on the George Reeves Adventures of Superman TV series earlier on the podcast. Uh, as, as of this recording, he and I are uh, in the midst of our homework uh, for these episodes. I'm really interested because I've read most of the post-crisis ones, almost all of the post-crisis ones, but almost very few of the pre-crisis ones. So... You know, over the course of this reading project and viewing project, because we'll also be pulling in like the Fleischer cartoon and and the George Reeves series and Lois and Clark and so on, Smallville. Uh, I'm I'm really ex- I, I don't know I don't know if there's anything you can get out of Smallville. I mean, I know like this it was just such a such a thin thin <laughs> plot. Like, how could you get any content out of that? I know it just kind of came <laughs> and went. It really had no yeah. no staying power. Yeah. <laughs> 
But I'm really excited to kind of take a long view of this origin story and how it was built over these 80 years and how new layers kept getting added and continue to get added to the story, some more effective than others. Um, but I guess kind of circling back, you know, I, you and I are in the same camp and I, Wade is too. He said it in the episode that, you know, we all wish that Birthright had taken root as mm -hmm. as the definitive origin. But it's like for us and I'm sure other fans probably in our age group as well who like that was the, the first one that like really hit home with them. It is, you know, and mm -hmm. it, it, it lives forever. That's that story. So well, what's your second favorite? If you if you if you is there do you have one that's off the top of your head of your second favorite? Uh, you know, honestly, the, this is really in its own category, but, uh, what Grant Morrison and Frank Whiteley did at the start of all-star Superman with that one page, really? it's, it's just so iconic and it just boils everything down to these few basic, simple panels, but it's like, man, it captures it. Uh, so, but again, I, I would kind of put that in its own category, like to more specifically answer your question. And just within the realm of comics, right? Because if we if we mm -hmm. if we open it up, I mean, obviously Smallville, but you know, within the realm of comics, uh, it's interesting because it's like I don't know how much how much I necessarily enjoy reading Man of Steel per se, but I appreciate what it did, and that set the template for the whole version of Clark and Superman that you know, that we grew up reading. So mm -hmm. I, I think I probably would have to give give uh, the second spot to Man of Steel just in terms of what it in terms of what it did. But what about you? Yeah, no, me too. It's Man of Steel. I, I probably like reading it more than you do based on what you just said. Like, I actually really do like Man of Steel. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's, I know I was just talking about nostalgia not being a good thing, but for, for me, it is like, it is like the, it's like that version of Superman is like, so like iconic in my head, you know? And, and again, like, I thought it was like, like a fun take. Like it wasn't, dour and it wasn't like meandering or looking back at the past it was like a new fresh take for the time you know and like right. i always like when it does stuff like that that's again when i go to secret origin like secret origins beautiful like gary frank i think gary frank drew that right yeah secret or yeah beautiful book but like i just too much of it was referring to silver age stuff like going backward to me and it just like i just i don't like when things do that like i would rather it go like forward you know um and that's why that one didn't like resonate with me as much, even though like it's gorgeous, like, but you know, just, I, you know, teach their own. Honestly, I think that was ultimately the same issue that I had with it as well. And uh, I, I've never been on board with the idea of Clark acting as Superboy, you know, yeah, so that really took me out of it. But uh, actually I have to amend the, my answer to your previous question. And I am sorry that it didn't come to mind immediately, but for all seasons. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I will say within yeah. that though, Again, you know, they're all you can categorize these all different ways because for all seasons, I don't really look at it as as an origin story in the sense of of a birthright or a man of steel. It's I mean, for all seasons was more uh, emotional and like more of these like little character vignettes than it was like, oh, we're going to retell his entire origin. You know, it was really more mm -hmm. about him leaving Smallville and and making his way to Metropolis. So it's kind of in its own category, but that one is is very near and dear to me. So uh, I'm I'm going to include it in this, and and I would I would give that the number two slot, and then Man of Steel, but did, with did, utmost respect to Man of Steel. Did you read the Earth One books? Can't remember if you said you did or not. So I read the Earth One book, uh, the first volume when it when it first came out, and I'll be honest, yeah. I didn't really like it. Because you know, because that one's very Man of not 
not John Burns Man of Steel, the movie Man of Steel. Like I feel like took a lot from that. So I, I just wasn't sure if that was. Like, I'm sure you're going to talk about it in your and your, well, and it's book, funny but. that that's one of the reasons why I want to revisit it at some point because I I know that yeah it does it does share a lot with uh, Snyder's movies and you know as we have discussed you know I am a big fan of that so I feel like maybe I would view the book differently now. That being said. Um, I'm not covering that um, in these origin episodes and I'm not covering all-star Superman in these origin episodes. I'm really just focusing on the incontinuity. Oh, uh, okay. Now you can make an argument. None of these are, you know, it's like (laughs) what's, what's in or out of continuity always changes. But my, my, my baseline for this, because I I had to rein this in somehow. What's intended for continuity? Yes. And that's it. So like earth one was meant to be its own thing. All-star meant to be its own thing. And it's going to be, we're going to get to it on the podcast eventually. But uh, yeah, for this uh, we're just sticking with stuff that at the time was intended to be uh, canon. So that's the plan. (laughs) Cool. 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 I'm looking forward to hearing it for sure. Awesome. Yeah. It should be a lot of fun. So is there anything else that you want to say before we sign off? Uh, Mark Wade, you kicked ass. Uh, Awesome book. Favorite comic of all time. Um, Hope you get to write more Superman soon. That would be amazing. Uh, so, yeah. Ken, thank you very much for, I really appreciate you uh, jumping on here and doing this post-mortem with me. Uh, it, it was really a lot of fun. And, and it, you know, I don't typically do this with episodes, right? So to record something and then, you know, kind of do another little piece following up was, was a lot of fun. So thank you. Cool, cool. Thank you for having me. Yes. And where, uh, where can people find and follow you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at VKenMarion and Twitter at VKMarion. And I'm repped by Modern Mythology Comic Book Art, Comic Art, Modern Mythology Comic Art. Sorry, I always do that. Put the book in there. Um, and you can go to their website and check out original art for sale and commissions. And yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Right on. Well, thank you, Ken. Uh, thank you to everyone who uh, listened to or watched this episode. Again, my my great thanks to Mark Wade uh, for participating on this podcast. Uh, Be sure to come back for our Origins episodes. It's going to be a big month on the podcast, and I hope you enjoy. Until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. Digging for Kryptonite is a Flat Squirrel production. Art by Greg Schiegel, music by Basic Printer. If you like what you heard, be sure to listen to My Comic Shop History, available on most major podcast platforms. Sign up for exclusive additional content, including the Digging for Kryptonite companion podcast at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. And watch my documentary film, My Comic Shop Country, out now on Apple TV and Amazon.